Today I want to ask uh, this question. Uh, there's a lot of different organizations in the world, and a lot of these organizations, in order to be a member of it, uh, you have to qualify. Uh, they usually want something. They usually uh, need you to, to have certain requirements accomplished in your life. Uh, and then also you uh, uh, have to do things to stay in them, right? right. Some of these, uh, maybe your, the requirements are simple. Maybe it's based on the type of job you have. All right, all right. There's different organizations that if you work in a certain field, you can be a part of. All right, but if you don't work in that field, what can't you be a part of? Oh, yeah, them. Uh, maybe sometimes you have to have the right credit score. Maybe sometimes you have to have the right amount of money. Sometimes you have to pay in to them, right? I, I remember even the free ones, they have requirements, right? I, I remember in high school being a part of the National Honor Society. Uh, and in order to get a part of NHS, you had to um, have a certain grade point average. And not everyone in the school got to be a part of it, only certain people. But on top of that, I remember that in order to remain a part of the NHS, at least in my high school, I had to go to meetings. And so once a month, we'd meet in the uh, science uh, classroom and we, we would talk. I don't remember a single thing that happened in that meeting. I just remember I had to go to them. I, I don't think we did anything, all right? But, but that's just one of the things that we had to do. And a lot of organizations are like that. You have to do things to stay a part of them. And so then we look at the church and we're left with this question, what, is it any different? All right, it's an organization. Are there requirements that must be met and what are they? And if we are to be a part of it and remain a part of it, what requirements are, 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 does that take? All right, and those are, those are questions. Those are tough questions. Sometimes uh, we tend to gloss over them. And I don't necessarily know that that is okay. I think we need to really sit and ask and answer these questions honestly. Well, I think uh, Paul in the book of Galatians does this. He kind of talks about this subject of who is in the kingdom and who is how do you remain in the kingdom as well. And so these are questions that they wrestled with in the first century. Their questions looked a little bit different, all right, but it, because uh, we get the benefit of 2,000 years of church history to look back and to read and see how they answered it in the past, all right, they, for the first time, were answering these questions themselves. All right, they were asking these questions, and they, were, they struggled with it, and not everyone agreed on the answer. And we kind of see uh, played out throughout uh, the New Testament this struggle of coming to a conclusion. They were asking uh, the question, is Christianity just another sect of Judaism or is it something different? And these were tough, difficult questions that they had to work through. All right, so we're in Galatians. We're, we're studying the book of Galatians this month. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Galatians chapter 2 today. Uh, we're going to be continuing in this study, looking, uh, starting in verse 11, all right, and, and kind of looking at uh, what Paul's argument to this point has been. Uh, last week, uh, we saw Paul open up his argument uh, talking about these people that had come to the Galatians, and after Paul had been there and preached a gospel that was slightly different, uh, and the only thing that you have to really remember from that is that Paul argued two uh, key things. He said that uh, it doesn't matter about the reputation of the person. Uh, if their message stinks, they stink. All right? And so it doesn't matter if they're the most popular person in the world. If they're presenting a gospel that's different, then they are to be cursed. 
All right, the second thing uh, they said was, uh, where, who are they trying to app- uh, win approval from? All right, and, and it could be the approval of God or the approval of men. And based on who they're trying to win approval from shows what their motives are. Uh, from there, we're going to kind of skip a, a section uh, from the end of that topic last week until uh, through verse 10 of chapter 2. Paul kind of talks about, gives an autobiography, if you will. And he kind of talks about where he got his message from. And one of the places they said that he got his message from uh, was uh, from Jesus. He said he didn't get it from the other apostles. He got it from Jesus. That seems kind of weird to us, but we have to remember that Paul uh, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus as he was persecuting the church. All right? And so he, he, he encountered Jesus, and more, there's more to that relationship than what we get in the book of Acts. And so Paul's kind of discussing how he learned his gospel from Jesus. Uh, he did not go to the apostles uh, to get approved for them or to learn what to say. God gave him the words. All right? and, and it wasn't until three years after his conversion that he finally met Peter. All right, and it wasn't another, for another 11 years or 14 years, depending on how you read it, uh, that he finally met the other apostles. So it, he, he developed his gospel based on what Jesus had taught them, not based on what other people said. Now, it seems kind of weird for him to bring all this up. And the only reason that I can think that he's bringing it up is because of the, what the people in Galatia are doing. Okay, These false preachers, these people pre- presenting a different gospel, they must have come from the Jerusalem church. And Paul must be talking about the apostles there saying, listen, it doesn't matter who they think they are. I, I have just as much authority, if not more, than they do. All right, and so that's kind of what happens. Then we get into verse 11, uh, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up our uh, reading today. So verse 11 uh, through 13. It's the next slide, Pam. Uh, Verse 11 through 13 says, when Cephas came uh, to Antioch, Cephas is another name for Peter. It's probably the Aramaic name. Uh, Peter is the Greek name. Okay, so when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And so what we kind of see happen as Paul is uh, presenting his arguments to uh, the Galatian church, he kind of presents this uh, autobiography where he gets approval by the apostles in Jerusalem, and it stands in contrast to what happens later in Antioch. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what is happening here. First, we're introduced to, to Peter, and Peter has come to the church in Antioch. Uh, and this is, this is probably very significant, okay? Uh, the Jerusalem church is where the church started, right? Uh, they were mainly Jews, and as it began to spread out, it started to get into the Gentile area. And Antioch is the first place where a, a vast number of Gentiles uh, become Christians, uh, it's the first place where they, they call themselves Christians or they're called Christians. All right? And so it's a very significant church outside of Jerusalem. And so Peter going to Antioch is kind of like Peter giving approval of what is happening. 
Probably what's happening is as Paul has interacted with the apostles in Jerusalem, they're kind of curious as to what Paul has been doing. And so they probably send Peter to kind of just see and check out, uh, kind of like a short-term mission trip, right? right? We go to Taiwan, we go to Mexico, kind of to see what the missionaries are doing. All right, and to see uh, where maybe we can help more. All right, see where the need is. And that's probably what is happening here with Peter. He's going, he's checking it out. Uh, and, and, and this would have been great for the relationship between the two churches. All right, this would have been uh, even more significant considering who Peter is. All right, Peter is one of the leaders of the apostles. He's one of the guys that everyone in the church is looking to for direction and guidance. And so for him to come and to give approval, it would have been very important to them. It's kind of like uh, if you worked for a business, right? A corporation that had many, many different factories. And every factory made widgets, right? And your factory here in Mexico, Missouri, decided to stop making widgets and to make doodads instead. All right? and, and, and you don't even talk to your boss about it. You guys just, as a factory, decide to do that, uh, do something a little bit different. And it becomes successful. And the CEO comes to Mexico, Missouri to look at your factory and to see what it is you're doing. That would be exciting for us. And imagine that the CEO not only just says hi, but he's shaking everybody's hands and he's he's getting down and watching everything that you're doing. And he's giving great approval for what is happening. That would be awesome. And that's kind of what it's like for Peter to come to Antioch. All right. So Peter is there. We're told that he he develops a habit. All right. And this habit is that he begins to eat with the Gentile Christians. And this, this is really significant, okay? Because of the Jewish-Gentile relationship, <coughs> the Jews, they didn't look very favorably upon the Gentiles. Right? Uh, they, 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 they thought that they were better than them. And, 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 and their relationship between the Jews and Gentiles were not always very good. Right? There were times that the Romans would kick the Jews out of Rome because they were just fed up with them. All right, and that's kind of where, where they were. All right, they were having these, this constant issue between these two groups of people, these ethnic groups. And the reason why uh, is because the Jews would treat the Gentiles a certain way and the Gentiles would react. All right, have you ever known that one person uh, in your life that thought they were better than you? All right, that every time that you were around them, they kind of uh, downgraded you or they stuck their nose up at you. All right, how did you end up treating them? Kind of the same way, right? right? Sometimes when people treat us that way, we get kind of defensive and we kind of treat them badly in return. And that's kind of what's happening is the Jews think they're better and they act like they're better. And the Gentiles see them like, well, there's no way you're better than us. We're better than you. There's more of us. And they kind of interacted uh, poorly. And so Peter eating with Gentiles is significant. Peter is a Jew and he's eating with these people that he's not really supposed to. All right, and so, so that's kind of what's happening. Uh, and then we're told that some Christians from Jerusalem come to Peter, and they see what's happening, and they pull Peter aside, and they say, Peter, you really shouldn't do that. 
And Peter reacts in, in a very interesting way. Instead of standing up for probably what was right, all right, he begins to withdraw. And the word there is a military term for like a strategic retreat. All right, he doesn't just stop one day and say, I can't eat with you guys. All right, he pulls back in such a way that, that everybody's noticing it, but he's trying not to hurt anybody's feelings, either Jew or Gentile. But the Gentiles see it, the Jews see it, because Peter has been having this habit, uh, and, and he is suddenly doing something different than what he used to do. And the question we have to ask is why? Why would Peter react in this way? I mean, Peter, uh, he, he's already been accused before. If we read in Acts 10, he's already ate with Gentiles. Uh, he's already been accused by the church for doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. So he's already done all that. So why does he react in this way? Is this a backlapse? Is this him uh, being immature in some way? I don't know. We aren't really told. Right, historically, we, pl- we can place this event probably in the late 40s, and there's some significant things happening uh, in Judea at this time. Uh, there's a, a group of Jews known as the Zealots, uh, and the Zealots, they were not very nice people. They were against Romans, uh, and anybody that associated with Rome, they would be willing to kill. And so there's lots of assassinations. Uh, they literally would go onto the Temple Mount with, like, knives up in their sleeves. You know, they, they wore the... Uh, uh, long flowing robes, right? And so they would have knives in their sleeves, and if they knew you were someone that supported Rome, they would come up to you, stab you, and walk off, okay? So that's kind of who the zealots were, okay? And, and something that happened in AD 49 was that there, there was a large massacre of Jews uh, on the temple during the Passover, right? and it was a lot of it because of what was happening with the zealots and what they were doing. And as a result of that event and other events that were taking place in that time, uh, there became this rise of xenophobic Jews who basically did not like foreigners, did not like strangers, and any Jew that associated with them, uh, they, were, they were very looked down upon, and, and the zealots uh, were starting to kill those people off. And so possibly what's happening is, is Peter is here, he's associating with Gentile Christians. Yes, it's a little bit different than associating with Gentiles, but it's definitely with these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people. And it's reflecting badly upon the church back in Jerusalem from the Jewish standpoint. And so it's possible that these Jewish Christians from James came to Peter and told him, hey, listen, this is what's happening. This is what we're facing as a result of what you're doing, one of our figures of the church. And so maybe Peter reacts this way, not out of fear for Jewish Christians, but out of fear for the Jews and what the Jews are doing to the church in Jerusalem. Maybe. We don't know. But I like that, that assumption. Rather than him just making mistakes over and over again, which is typical of Peter, I, I like that uh, way of viewing it, maybe. Well, what happens is that as Peter does this, because he is the leader, every other Jew starts to do it too. Well, if Peter's not eating with them, maybe we shouldn't eat with them. They start to pull back. And so what you start to have is this ethnic divide, right, between the Jews and the non-Jews. And the church that should have had a common unity with one another based on their faith in Jesus is being divided based on racial tensions. And it wasn't good. And Paul, as he comes in and looks at what's happening, he realizes this is not okay. 
It's so bad that even Barnabas, one of these guys that came to Antioch at first, saw what was happening and was excited about it and encouraged everybody and, and promoted this unity between Gentiles and Jewish people into the family of God. I, and, and we're left with this question that, that we're, we asked at the beginning, right? Who belongs in the family of God? Do they have to look a certain way? Do they have to do certain things? Are there regulations to be a part of it and to be in it? And those are questions that they are asking here in, Gal- in, in Antioch based off of what's happening, this divide that's being created. Well, Paul is going to give us his answer to that. All right, so in verse 14, he sees what's happening, and he calls Peter out on it. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Basically, Paul's answer throughout, uh, from, from starting here throughout the rest of this chapter is this. There are no man-made regulations to be a part of the family of God. A lot of times we like to put regulations on, and maybe they're spoken, maybe they're unspoken, uh, and, and we like to put these stipulations on what you have to do to be a part of our family, all right? but that's not how it is. It's not about what we think. It's about what God thinks. And so Peter, he, he brings up a number of different points and contentions. The first thing that he does is he calls out Peter's hypocrisy. All right, Paul's calling him out and he's saying, listen, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, but suddenly something has switched and now you are expecting the Gentiles to live like Jews even though you don't live like that. All right, do you see the hypocrisy in that? All right, he's being deceptive on what uh, is, it requires. And he calls them out. And the thing that Paul argues is that uh, even the Jews, the Jewish Christians, they no longer collectively live like Jews. All right, Peter, you're not living like a Jew. Why do you think that they have to live like you now? And so Paul's argument is that, okay, that there's no regulations. And Peter has had this, this habit of eating with the Gentiles. Now, we don't know how long he's been in Antioch, but it's long enough that he has a habit. Right? People have noticed it. It's been long enough that people in Jerusalem heard about it, and they're coming to Peter to talk to him. Right? It's long enough for him, them to notice that he's withdrawing from it all. All right, so we don't know how long, but it's been long enough. All right, they've seen how he's not lived like a Jew, and now suddenly he's expecting everybody to live like a Jew. All right, so that's one of the first things that he says. In verses 15 through 16, uh, he gives uh, two more arguments, at least one more argument, All right, and it says this. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. That was a lot, right? All right, here's what he's kind of saying. He's saying that the Jews, uh, the Jewish Christians in particular, they know that they are not saved by this law, by the Jewish customs. You know, Peter is expecting the Gentiles now to behave like Jews, but the Jewish Christians know that they aren't saved that way. 
And so when we're talking about whether or not there's regulations in the church and we're looking at the Jewish law and should we follow it, are we just another sect of Judaism? The answer is no, because the law doesn't save. The law is not something that brings people into a right relationship with God. See, we see this connection, right? The, the, even as he says, is we are Jews and we're not sinful Gentiles. It's that relationship. It's what the Jews thought they were superior in. And they're called the, the Gentile sinners, not because that they do wrong, not because they sin like you and I sin, but because they don't know who God is. Right? That's that term there right there in this particular instance. Right? They are sinners because they don't know who God is. He says that we are not like them because we know who God is, but we also know that the law doesn't accomplish anything. The Jews for generations had tried to have a right standing before God by doing the law, by having sacrifices, by not sinning, by not associating with people that were sinners. And they did this over and over again. And no matter what, they still needed Jesus, right? No matter how hard they tried to be right with God, they still needed Jesus. Throughout all their efforts and their their working and working and working, they could never get right. Paul uses this beautiful word justified. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have a good English word to, to translate it. It's this idea of being in a right standing where God looks at us and says, you are good. But unfortunately, because we sin... We're not. And no matter how much we try, no matter how much effort we give in, no matter what type of regulations we place upon ourselves, we can never be good enough. And the Jews realize this because they've tried forever to be right with God based on their own efforts. And Paul looks at Peter and he says, listen, we've tried this. It doesn't work. We know that the only thing that gets us right with God is faith in Jesus. So if we're asking, are there regulations? The answer is yes. The regulations is not man-made, but rather God-made, and it's about faith in Jesus. Now, how this works out, Paul will explain here in a little bit, all right? But right at this moment, he's just talking about how we are justified, how we are made right before the eyes of God based on faith. So, Paul continues, all right? Uh, he, he says, if we are not saved by the law, uh, then, then why are we trying to do it? And he says it this way. Uh, We're going to read these two verses separately. Verse 17 says, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. And this is kind of the hardest part of this whole section of trying to understand what he's trying to say there. Uh, here's, Here's what I think he's trying to say. He's saying that if Jews, who are Christians end up associating with Gentiles who are also Christians, does that mean we promote the sinful Gentile way of life? All right, the non-Christian Gentile way of life. All right, and, and he says the answer is no, absolutely not, right? All right? So there are regulations on remaining in, and that is not being sinful. 
all right? And, and that's part of that, all right? But the regulations are, again, not man-made, but God-made, and he'll explain that here in a little bit. Verse 18, he says, If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And here he's talking about the law, and he says, we, we as Jewish Christians, we know that the law has been set aside. The law doesn't get us saved. Only faith makes us saved. And if we recognize that and we're living in faith, and yet we try to bring the law back into our lives, all it does is show that we're a lawbreaker, that we are sinners ourselves. This association that they had in their mind that the Gentiles were different from the Jews, it really makes no difference because all have sinned and all miss the mark that God has set for us. And so if we're trying to bring regulations into our lives and into the lives of those who are in the church, then we are missing the point of what it takes to be made right in God's eyes what it takes to be made right in God's eyes is faith. And Paul goes on to explain that in the rest of the chapter. He says, "For though, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And he closes this section by talking about how unity with Christ breaks down all regulations that might have been there before. By being united to Christ, he says that I have died to the law. I, I've died to the law because he's been crucified with Christ. The Christ event, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the most important event in the history of humanity. It is a thing that when we are united to, it doesn't matter what we did in our past. It doesn't matter really even what's coming in front of us either. That if we are united with Christ through faith and through baptism, then we are united with him in his death and in his resurrection. The things that we do, the things, the efforts, the, the, the trying to be made right based on living a certain lifestyle, it is not what matters? What matters is, are we in Christ? Are we with Christ? See, too often we, as a church in America and universally, we want to know who's in and who's not. And to make sure that we know who's in and who's not, we make regulations and checklists, right? I, and sometimes we have them spoken. I, you have to do this, this, that, this, that, and something else. I remember going to a church in high school with my girlfriend at the time, and her church was a very much, we have a spoken rules and regulations on what you have to do to be a part of us. And what it, it consisted of is if you came to church on Sunday morning, you had to dress in a three-piece suit, and at girls, you had to wear skirts all the way past your knees. If you didn't, you know what happened? You got a severe talking to. The only type of music you could listen to was hymns, nothing else. All right, so if you listen to country music in your car or rap or whatever it is that you listen to, that's not okay. Is that what the Bible says? I mean, they had so many lists and regulations. I wonder how many people they kept from coming to Jesus because of these regulations and these rules. 
Sometimes we speak them. A lot of times we keep them unspoken. And we promote this unspoken rules that you can come to church just as long as you're not too big of a sinner. Just as long as you've got it all together, you can be a part of who we are. I remember uh, reading uh, from a preacher in Las Vegas, his church uh, was growing fina- greatly, in, and it's Sin City, right? There's a lot of people that need Jesus there. And they were starting to reach prostitutes and drunks, and they would have people come to church, and they would be, like, wasted up in the balcony. And he remembers having an elder leave the church one day. And he started to talk to this elder about why it is that you're leaving. And he said, well, our church is great. It was, I, I really liked it when we were reaching sinners, but now that we're reaching sinners, it's just not my thing. Too many times we have those types of rules and regulations. The unspoken ones, that only certain people that fit our certain idea of what a good person is, those are the ones that Jesus died for. But the reality is it doesn't matter who it is. Jesus died for the vilest of sinners as well as for you and for me. And the rules and regulations that we tend to place on people, they are impossible to accomplish. I mean, the expectations that we have, they can never be met, right? Remember when you first got married? Didn't you have an expectation that your wife or your your husband, depending on who you are, uh, was going to do this and that? Only to find out that they were expecting you to do that? thing that you're wanting them to do? And too many times we have expectations of what is going to be accomplished and it's never really met. The good thing is, no matter what expectations we think we have, Jesus has given us his expectations and his expectations on getting into the family of God is faith in him. And Paul tells us the things that keeps us in the family of God is faithfulness. He says, the life that I now live, I live by faith. That's it. To be a part of this grand thing, this kingdom of God, to be a part of the family of God, it takes having faith and being faithful to him. That's it. And whatever regulations or expectations that we have, they need to be set aside because God has already told us what it takes. And we need to please God rather than please man. So what about you? What expectations do you have that are unrealistic, that are keeping you back from sharing the gospel with people that desperately need to know who Jesus is? Sometimes when we have expectations in our lives, it holds us back from telling people because we think that eh, they're not really there yet. But it's not up to us. It's up to them. Are they willing to put faith into Jesus? In our lives, maybe we sit in churches and we think, you know what, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough to be baptized. I'm just not good enough to make that commitment yet. But the reality is, is that's not what it is about. No matter how much we try, we will never be good enough. We need Jesus. And if you're willing to have faith in Jesus, you 
are all that he wants. That's all he needs from you. So let us have faith. Let us be faithful to his calling in our lives. And let us promote this gospel to whoever needs to hear, which is everyone. Will you pray with me? God, as we think about these words, help us to be reminded of your faithfulness, how you came and you gave yourself up, that the gospel message is here, that you died for us and that we, are, we died with you, that we're connected to the Christ events, to your death, burial, and resurrection. Help us, Father, not to hold people back from coming to you by the expectations that we have for them to live, but help us, Father, to just show you to them, to tell them about sin in their lives, to show them that it doesn't matter what they've done in their past, that you love them and that you care for them. I pray, God, that in my life I will not put stipulations there. I will not keep people from coming to you based on what I think, but rather I'll teach you only the pure gospel, the gospel that sets us free from all of our past. I ask this in your name. Amen.